0: So um, in your Bibles, I believe it's page 542, the ones on the the tables there. So that helps. So Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks life into our lives. We thank you that it speaks truth into our lives. God, we thank you that in the midst of a world that's struggling and looking for answers, you provided it in your word through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we just trust that Your Spirit will move among us as we read Your Word, that it'll teach us, affirm us, encourage us, and strengthen us for the week that You've got ahead of us, God. For the things we'll encounter, we will hold fast to Your Gospel and Your truth that You've put inside of our hearts. We thank You so much for Your Word. Pray that You bless the preaching of Your Word now. It's impressing to pray. Um, So we're starting tonight uh, our series on going together, and uh, as many of you know, I've talked to many of you about Restoration Church, and and one of the ways that I'm describing what it is to to be a church is by this phrase, uh, going together. And so uh, tonight and uh, two weeks from now on the 11th, and then a couple weeks in December, we're going to be talking about going together and what that means to actually go together. Uh, so tonight, we're talking about going and what it means to be going. Uh, in the following few uh, weeks, we'll be talking about togetherness and the importance of that. So I'm um, looking forward to that time as well. There's three verses that are key to uh, going together, this idea that, uh, that God has, this vision that God has given me uh, for how to describe the church. And this isn't unique to me, really. It's just how God laid it on my heart. Um, any church that you go to has some... Uh, way that they try and encapsulate or understand better what is the mission of a local body of believers in a city. And for me, that's going together. Uh, for my home church in Oklahoma, it's Go, Gather, Grow. Uh, for uh, other churches, it's other things, you know, just whatever phrase. And the thing that God has given me is going together. So we've been talking about that over the next uh, next worship services this uh, this fall. So again, tonight is, is going, and the three verses, like I said, that uh, really speak to this, uh, this mindset or this understanding is Matthew 28, 16-20, uh, which is what we'll be looking at primarily tonight, uh, and then Acts 1-8, as well as Acts two forty two and following. Uh, so these verses sort of shape this understanding of what it means to, uh, go, to be going together. So um, as you see on your guides, there's, there's really three points that we want to work through this evening as we look at God's Word, and that's simply this. Uh, we serve a going God, we are a going people, and God is going with us. So the three things we're going to cover tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little all over the place because with the top of the sermon, it's uh, it's difficult to stay focused. So there's a lot of, of uh, overarching themes that we're going to have to cover to really to grasp this. So I promise you won't actually be in just these four verses, or we're going to be uh, all over your word. So... Um, So excited about that. Um, So the first thing is we serve a going God. Um, And I think one of the things that really hit me as I was considering this and thinking about the fact that God has come to us is God's creation. That's the first thing that God really brought to me is that, you know, we don't even exist without him. Like, we aren't even here at all. So that always gets you wondering, well, why in the world are we here? Why did God make the world? Why did God make us? So, I'll pose those two questions to you as I'll wrestle with them a little bit myself, but why do you think God created the world? And why did he create us? Anybody have an answer that they feel is, uh, that they, they understand best? Why did God create the earth? And why did he create us? Because he loved us. Because he loved us, okay, yeah, yeah. That's right. He loves life. He's the giver of life. Yeah, yeah. He displays that in his creation. What What else comes to mind? Why Why does God Why did he create the earth? Why would he? I mean, he's infinite, all knowing, all powerful God. Why Why are we here? It's kind of like it's the <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Really hard to grasp. Other thoughts? He Was he lonely? That is an answer that our culture gives, right? Is God lonely? No? I think he's he's all sufficient, right? So he can't be lonely. Like, yeah, I yeah. I think he's wall right here. Yeah, no. Maybe God knows <laughs> a wall created. Yeah, right, right. It's interesting. He even gave us the ability to create these walls. So, like, even the walls we create are actually from the ability he gave us. It's all. And, and Jeremiah talks about, I don't remember what verse it was, but it's, and Jeremiah talks about he's the olive branch. Yeah. And tree. Yep. He's watching you all the time. Yeah. That's right. His light is there, right? Yep. Yep. I think one thought, because I think it's, uh, like, a lot of times in the Bible, right, like the first time. Yep. It's like especially significant. Yeah, right? yeah. So the first the first way he's described, right, is as creator, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, if that's the first way that God is you know, described in the Bible, you know, that's kind of significant to who he is. Yeah. He's a God that makes things. Yeah. And, uh, so I, it's not a full answer. To yeah, that, no, no. He's, part of, you know, he's the origin. He's uh, the origin. He makes stuff. Yeah. He is, the ma- and you can see that in our lives too. We're a reflection of that, since we're the, we're in the image of God, right? Uh, we create. We're creative people by nature, and some of us less creative, and some of us more creative. But you know, we are about creating things and engaging our world. That's God's put that in us, and I think when that's not there, you know, something's something's amiss. Like God's created us to engage our worlds in in some degree. So. My thought is that the reason that God created the world is simply for his glory. Totally for his glory, you know? And we were talking about this a little bit on um, Wednesday lunch. Um, Tim, you should just really come to Wednesday lunch because... (laughs) Uh, We joke about that because on Wednesday nights, I'm always saying, oh, at Wednesday lunch, we talked about, you know, whatever. Um, But this idea that... um, I lost my train of thought, but um, God created for his glory. He wanted his name to be known even greater. And the only way for his name to be known greater is to have more people, more beings, I guess, to know his name and to rightfully recognize him as God who he is. He has vast angels worshiping him and all these things. I think one of the reasons he created this world and gave us, an ability to run after him, to choose him, is that he's seeking his glory in his creation. He extends his creation, and you know, it's for his glory, and then he creates man to further his glory in that creation. He gives us the opportunity to say, no, this God is the only God in all the earth, in all the universe, the only God that exists for his glory. Is is why he created us, and uh, that's that's just beautiful. And one the the passage that really hit me when I was thinking about this um, this idea that it's about his glory is uh, is Psalm eight, and on the the Bibles that are on the tables, that's page two eighty eight. If you want to make a turn there, but Psalm eight, I'm going to read the whole the psalm. It's, it's a short one, so it's not Psalm one nineteen, so we'd be here a while if I read that one. Um, There, Psalm 8. Just listen to how God's glory is is at the center of this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established your strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. (laughs) I love how David just declares this truth that God has set his glory above the heavens, like above all things. There's nothing that David could conceptualize in his mind that God was not greater than. He was greater than all. Uh, And that's, that's just the reason that God... Uh, creates uh, creates the world and has created us. If you see down in verse uh, verse 6 of that psalm, it says of uh, man he made us a little lower than heavenly beings, just that we're a different nature uh, but he crowned us with glory and honor. How does it feel to be crowned with glory? I mean we don't think of that about ourselves that much but like you're crowned with glory and honor in Christ um, and you've been given dominion over the works of your hands, it's just a, it's such a beautiful thing. And it's not, uh, God hasn't given us um, this glory, uh, this standing in Christ uh, for our own purpose, right? It's interesting, the thing that we're talking about Wednesday at lunch was that uh, God, it's, it's okay for God to be uh, self-exalting, right? Because he's God. There's nothing else to exalt except for himself, for us, it's different. If we exalt ourselves, you know, we're putting ourselves in a place that's different than God is doing is in that. So we're putting ourselves above God in a sense. We're exalting ourselves. We're saying, I am the reason that these things are the way they are. I am the reason that this success is coming to me. And that's what our world says, right? It says, I've worked hard, and I've earned every penny that I've got, and it's all mine, and it's, I'm taking it with me. You know, and that's just a lie, right? Truth is, we've been blessed beyond measure, uh, especially in our country, with such opportunity uh, to, to have you know, success in the world. Um, and that's just a gift of God. And we don't recognize that. We're exalting ourselves and our abilities above the Creator who gave us all that we have. So um, the, the, the purpose of Him giving us glory and honor is not for us to exalt ourselves, but rather to bring glory to God. So to bring it back to kind of the point of, of what we started out with was that God created the world for his glory. And he created us to bring glory to him. You know, Our purpose in life is to recognize him and his authority for what it is. Um, and sometimes that's difficult to do, as, as we'll talk about. Um, Genesis 1, 28 and 29 uh, put it this way, and I'll spend a little bit of time in Talking about Genesis. Uh, so God says to uh, to Abraham or sorry to Adam, wrong patron. He says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. This is the verse that my wife likes. Uh, yeah. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Um, again, this is what God has given to, to us as humanity. In, in his creation of Adam and Eve, this was his purpose, was that we would rightfully um, sustain the earth for his glory and, and for his exalti- exaltation. Uh, the problem is, right, that we screwed that up pretty early in the game, <laughs> in like fact, first, first man. So, um, yeah, that was that one was broken pretty quickly. Um, you See, yeah, uh, you know, Adam, as you guys all, all know the story, Eve took up the apple and disobeyed God, and, and He said that uh, that she shouldn't eat, or that Adam and Eve shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but. She basically said, you know, my exaltation of me and me gaining more knowledge and understanding is really important. And Adam and Eve disobeyed God and said, we want that. Basically, they were exalting themselves and their understanding of the world over what God had already told them. right? So it's the same thing that we've been talking about. When we exalt ourselves and say we've done it, um, we put ourselves in a place that we aren't supposed to have. We're taking God's space. And God is the one that's receive exaltation for all the things that we've been given. Um, so, you know, sometimes we look back on Adam and Eve and think, well, man, if I were there, I just wouldn't have taken the apple. but right? it's so dumb. Like, what's the deal? But the reality is, we would have done the same thing. We would have screwed up, too. You know, we would have just been just as tempted, and we would have, you know, probably fallen to that as well. So we can't have too much, too much pride without thinking that we would have done differently. Um, but the, the very cool thing uh, about this is that in spite of the fact that uh, God creates this amazing world for us and we screwed up, basically, uh, God, again, he's a going God, right? So he's the one that started this thing. Uh, he came and created this world. He created us for his glory. Uh, and when we messed it up, He continues to be in that character. He continues to be a going God. So instead of saying, um, Adam and Eve, I'm done with this experiment. You guys are done. I'm just going to wipe you guys out, and it's over. Uh, He doesn't do that. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, we could spend, seriously, I don't know, with a bunch of the things that we're talking about tonight, I'm like, I could spend forever talking about this. Uh, But we're just going to breeze through a couple of things in chapter 3 about how God... Uh, is a going God, Now He comes to us even when we have failed Him and restores us to relationship with Him. And the thing that we see throughout the Old Testament is that uh, God is pointing to our need for restoration and that need is only found in Christ Jesus. And so um, a couple of things that, that I point out in verse, in chapter 3 of Genesis, uh, the Lord is talking, He's bringing um, He's bringing condemnation on uh, on Satan for deceiving Adam and Eve and uh, basically outlining the consequences of the action uh, that Adam and Eve took. So, but just a couple of things that I want to focus on. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, um, but I just want to show you that throughout Scripture, uh, throughout the Old Testament, God is pointing us to uh, himself and our need of him. So, chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and uh, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So right there in this chapter, verse chapter three, right as Adam and Eve have fallen uh, and have broken God's command, He brings them this promise that I'm going to uh, restore uh, this this whole situation to, uh, to rightness. He's going he's to bring restoration uh, to this situation. Um, and he says that it's going to come through the woman's seed. So God is going to provide uh, a person, someone, to come and basically defeat Satan for his, the temptation that he has brought to, to mankind. Uh, and right there is a promise to us, that that is coming, and you know, just to keep it short, that's Jesus. Um, and in verse twenty-one, he says this, I, and I, I just love this again. Like Adam and Eve, literally deserve death. Like that's what they deserve for for taking the apple and for disobeying God. They deserve to be wiped out. And God just says, "You know what? I'm good. Uh, I'm infinite, all powerful, all knowing, and I really don't." You know, need these people necessarily. I'm just extending my glory because I'm, I am, I am, you know? And so, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't wipe them out. What he says in verse 21 of chapter 3 is this, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Instead of killing them, he makes a sacrifice first sacrifice we've ever heard, this, the, you, might, you might have seen that he, he uses garments of skin to clothe them. Instead of the fig leaves that they have made for themselves and somehow covered themselves up, God instead brings them these garments and they're not, I, I don't think these are it wasn't like they were cold and they just need to keep warm, like garments throughout the Old Testament are a symbol of inheritance. So when God is bringing a garment to you, he's saying, I'm restoring you to the position that I've given you in the past, like I still have a purpose for you. You know, I'm not going to wipe you out. You know, you're not going to stay in the Garden of Eden because there's you know situations there because you you've fallen. But I have a purpose and a plan for you in spite of the choices you make. And that's a word that we need to hear. Because sometimes we get really uh, down on ourselves for decisions we made and things that have gone on, and we say, "Well, God can't use me anymore." And the truth is, from the beginning of Scripture, God tells us that even when we fall, He's a gracious and loving God. And He comes and He clothes us with His righteousness. He restores us and has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And I just think that's so beautiful that uh, the Lord, instead of obliterating and Eve right at the beginning, says, you know what? I'm going to clothe you and restore you to a new position. It's not going to be the same because you guys, you know, you failed in this, but I do have a purpose for you in this life, and uh, and we see that throughout Scripture. Um, this is really, honestly, this is the story of the Old Testament. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we always think that that the Old Testament is basically about judgment and God, this God of wrath, and you know, basically the Israelites killing people and you know all this stuff the reality is that the Old Testament is similar to the New Testament in a lot of ways. It's about demonstrating to us that our only hope is in Christ. It's in God. Um, And throughout, I mean, we could go through tons of stories that just point to this fact that we are incapable of rightly orchestrating our lives. We are in total dependence on God. And so, you know, I mean, whether we're looking at uh, Noah, who you know is sitting there, and basically God comes to him and says, "There's going to be a flood." Um, I mean, think about that. God came to him. We have a going God. He came to Noah and said, "You know, listen, this flood is coming. You need to build an ark." And what I mean, He gives Noah basically an opportunity to be obedient, and Noah takes that opportunity. It's a symbol of of, of faith in Him. And, and God saves Noah and his family because of that. He comes to Abraham, he goes to Abraham and says, I want you to go to uh, Canaan, and that's you know, that's where I'm gonna have your people live. Takes him out of this land called Ur and moves him to Canaan. And, you know, I mean, if God comes to you and says, You need to move to a different place, we think, well, if, if God just came to me and told me that, then that'd be easy because you know it'd be crazy if God came and told me. But really, I and mean, God speaks to us today, and he tells us to go places. And I think you know my family has has felt that already. Uh, you know, guys come and told us to come to Clearwater, and from Boston, and we're from Oklahoma. And, you know, these aren't easy decisions to make. But if God is the one that came to you and He told you to go do something, you should go do it because He's got something for you. Um, but He comes to Abraham and says, "Move and do this." And throughout Abraham's life, we see God testifying to uh, to our need of. Uh, of this provider, of God to restore us to right relationship to him. So, you know, we see Abraham going up to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac, and God comes and, and provides something different. He says, no, don't do it. I've got another way. I'm going to send my own son, basically. And uh, he also, when, when God establishes his covenant with Abraham, he says, uh, you know, he's, he's telling him that, he's gonna, that a nation is going to come from him, that a seed is going to come through through Abraham that will bless the nations, um, and you know, it's the way he demonstrates and seals this covenant is that uh, he takes these animals and he, he cuts them in pieces and sets them on, on sides, so there's a dove and a, and a ram and all these sorts of things, and God has him, you know, do this, basically set these these uh, these animals out as you know, sacrifices, half halves of them, and As Abraham is sitting there dreaming, uh, he falls into a sleep, and God visits. And it says he he goes in a, it's like a smoking cauldron in a fire pot, and walks through the pieces. Basically this image of God walking through these sacrifices. Now, that wasn't just like some random thing that God made up and was like, Hey, just take (laughs) these things and do this, and I'm going to walk through them. It's like, that's a cultural thing. To, uh, to to seal a covenant at that time was to make a sacrifice and whoever is um, the one that's going to be uh, held responsible for that covenant walks through these pieces. And so for Abraham to have this encounter with God where he says, okay, cut the pieces, we're going to make a covenant, Abraham would have understood that. It wouldn't have been just random to him. Okay, To us it's like, what's going on? Um, but then, then God walks through the pieces and he's the one that is going to be liable for the covenant so so God promises Abraham I'm going to bring a seed through you that's going to bless the nations chapter you can like I said there's so much here chapter 12 and chapter 15 of Genesis talk about this promise that God has given to Abraham and that promise is fulfilled in Christ our salvation our restoration is in Christ and it's all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, I could go on and on about the stories in the Old Testament that point in this way to Christ, whether it's uh, Moses, who's leading the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean, look at all of the miracles he did in Egypt. And then they walk through the Red Sea. And then when they're in the in the wilderness, the people are crying out for food, and God provides food from heaven for them. And they're crying out for water. And Moses He basically strikes a rock, and God says, I will stand on this rock. You strike it, and water will come out. And so Moses is is striking the rock which God is standing on, and so God is taking the judgment that the people deserve, and water flows out from that. Anyway, so these are just beautiful pictures that throughout the Old Testament, they're not just boring stories. In fact, they're actually Desiree's, Desiree's favorite part of the Bible is the Old Testament, which I tend to agree with her in a lot of aspects on that. But um, they all point to our need for God to come to us, to go to our lives and transform them and restore them uh, to right things. So whether it's Joshua and the conquest or the judges who uh, continue to save Israel, all the judges are amazing people who have weird, like, and quirks about them that they shouldn't be saviors but God uses them instead whether they're left handed or they're women or different situations God uses these people of, of different character to save his, his people or whether it's Ruth or the kings that God uses to uh, in, whether in spite of them or through them uses to rule his people or whether it's the prophets that speak to the kings and to, to Israel about what they should be doing God is going through these people and these individuals to his world to show his glory uh, in, in the world. So he brings the people back from exile. He restores the temple. All these things are things that God did in his power, not in any man's power, but for his glory. And all these things point to the fact that our restoration is in God. And chiefly, our restoration is in Christ. Um, And I I would say that all these stories point toward that fact that our restoration is found in Christ Jesus. So in Christ we see, uh, getting closer back to the passage that we started with, in Christ we see this man who, who came as God to the earth, Son of God, comes to earth. And as I've said, the Old Testament foretells this time and time again, that people expect... As we've been studying in our in our Wednesday night study, yeah, we do good we do good things in Wednesday night too. In um, the Wednesday night study is that people had this expectation that the Messiah was going to come, that Jesus, well, what we know is Jesus was going to come, but Jesus came in a way that is totally different than we would have expected. When you expect someone that is going to come and save a nation, that's going to restore them, you know, this idea of restoring them to revelation. With God, um, you would expect that He would come with great grandeur and and pomp and circumstance and whatever, uh, but He comes in a stable. He comes as a baby. So I don't know if you caught that in the psalm that we read earlier—the babies that babies and infants that speak out against the enemies and foes. I always I thought that's weird. I wonder why He said that in that psalm. But reality is that God fulfilled that promise through a baby. He defeats His enemies just a man who came to earth. I mean, he was the son of man. He was the son of God. But he came to earth as a baby. He could have come as something totally different. He could have come in a flash of lightning. He could have come uh, riding on a horse, which he will at some point come back in that way. Um, but uh, he came as a baby. In a humble circumstance, he came to this world. Um, he endured all the temptation that we endured. He, um, he healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers, he, uh, he cast out demons, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the fact that God is the restorer, that man cannot do it on his own. And that's the reality we live in in our world, right? Is that man can achieve fulfillment, and even somehow achieve divine fulfillment in some way, on their own, and that's just nonsense. The reality is, if God is the creator, there's no way we can get back to him except through him. And uh, and that's the truth that we see in Jesus. So we see that God is a going God. He created the world. And when we screwed it up as people, he went to us. He came to us and, and restores us to himself. He's a going God. So getting back to our passage in, uh, in Matthew 28, this is what Jesus says, uh, This is after he has has died, he has been buried, and on the third day he rose. And so this is after his resurrection, he comes to the disciples, and these are the words he gives them to commission them uh, as as leaders of the church. He says this uh, in, in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That promise that was found in Genesis has been fulfilled in Christ. That promise that was given to Abraham that God would be the one to fulfill this covenant is fulfilled in Christ. That imagery that we see throughout the Old Testament of our desire, of our need for a Savior is fulfilled in Christ. He says to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Can you imagine, like, if you're the disciples and this man that you spent three years with, first of all, he comes back from the dead. That's impressive in itself. But then he comes and says to you, all authority in heaven and in earth, basically, any authority you can think of or conceptualize is in me. I mean That is huge, and, and obviously you have to believe that because he just rose from the dead. You know? He has proved his reality to them, and that's the state that he, he starts out with before he commissions them uh, as, as a going people. And so that's what we're going to look at next in verses 19 and 20. We don't just serve a going God, but we are a going people. Verse 19 says this about what it means to be a going person. Jesus continues on, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, if you remember, we talked about in Psalm 8 how uh, God gave glory and honor to men and gave them Basically, dominion to go forth in his strength in the world to extend his glory on the earth. You see that picture of of how he, when Adam and Eve sinned, he clothed them in righteousness, clothed them with his inheritance and a new sense of purpose for their lives and, and gave them a mission. And in the same way, Christ is fulfilling that, right? He says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So if someone says that to you and you've seen that implications, you probably should listen to what's about to come, right? Because it's going to be pretty important. And what he says to them is that I'm not just a going God, but I've got a mission for you. I, he's basically about to, I and mean, he's going to leave here soon to go back and be with the Father in heaven. Uh, but he gives the mission of the church, the mission to extend the glory of the Lord throughout the earth to these men. That's our, a restoration of our purpose in life, right? That our purpose originally in the garden and when God created the earth was to extend God's glory in the earth. Mm -hmm. And that couldn't be fully done until Christ came and restored us to the right relationship with the Father. And now these disciples are, in right relationship with the Father, because of what Christ has done, and he is commissioning them to go out and do what they were supposed to be doing in the original creation, which is to extend God's glory in the earth. So, we don't just serve a going God. We now have become, as Christians, a going people. So, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Uh, So, the first question that, that I have for us as we look at this concept is, where are we going? Right? It says go. So, so where do we go? Um, and Acts eight, Acts one eight provides some uh, some perspective to this, but I'd, I'd say it's even you know, even more than this. Uh, but Acts one eight says this to us, uh, and this is Jesus speaking again before he goes. Uh, ascends to heaven. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, our, our we're called to, we're called to go. We're called to uh, leave our comfort for other geographies uh, but I would also say that we're also called to, you know, I think going can have two components. It's either leaving or staying. Like God could call you to stay. For some of these people, they were to go to Jerusalem. You know, that's where they were supposed to go. And actually, for probably most of us here, our going is actually you know, staying geographically. Uh, but it doesn't change the purpose that you know, of where we're going. Where we're going if we're, you know, if we're staying. It's getting really, really crazy. (laughs) Where we're going if we're staying is to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family, um, to, you know, sometimes to just random strangers on the sidewalk, you know, sometimes we're going to them. Um, So our going, where we're going is uh, is sometimes staying. And you you see as... I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that isolation isn't an option for us as Christians. And we live in a hyper-individualistic society. Like, we're totally about ourselves. Even though we've got a million friends on Facebook, we're still sitting at home doing nothing by ourselves. It's like, what is that? You know, that's not why we were created. You know, God created us uh, to be in relationship. He's a God of relationship. And we believe he's three in one. You know, he's Father, Son, and Spirit. And even in his nature, he he describes relationship, and he creates us and desires a relationship with us. Like that's demonstrated. So, for us to go is to reject the idea that we're just individuals floating around on this earth with no purpose. We're just trying to sustain life and make this world spin. Um, you know. Our purpose as Christians is to go, to extend God's glory and his authority in this earth. And so our going is to our roommates, to our family, to our friends, to extend his glory and authority uh, to the world. Um, And that's, you know, that's an unpopular message, honestly, for us to say that, uh, to say that we've basically found uh, the way you ought to live. You know, our society looks at that and says, well, you're, uh, you're a bigot, and you, know, you think you got the way. And... But the fact is, the Bible doesn't allow us anything different. When Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and life. and that No one comes to the Father but through him. And so our purpose in life is to go, to extend that reality to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, uh, to share that great news with them. Uh, that that God has indeed restored us to right relationship uh, with the Father, and He's done it through uh, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So, where are we going? You know, uh, God may be calling you to go somewhere crazy. That's very possible. Uh, God does that; He calls people to go all over the world. He's called uh, Christians to go everywhere. In fact, uh, I've got a friend that uh, was in youth group with me back in in Oklahoma who was called to go to France, you know, in Paris, France. So kind of cool but you know uh, someone's called to go there and I'm sure that's a very difficult sacrifice for him uh, and his family to be apart because I, I know how how hard it is to be apart from you know your, your loved one's Grandmas are like you guys gotta get closer <laughs> especially when you start having kids like oh man um, my mom's probably listening at some point recording this so uh, sorry mom we're down here in Florida so you just have to come see us we're tired here Exactly. Um, anyway <laughs> So, uh, so, for some, going is literally leaving, but for most of us, going is staying, to be a light to our coworkers and friends and family. Um, and the cool thing is, when God tells us to go, again, he says all authority has been given, so, yeah, you know, it's just great. He goes with us, but we're going to get to that later. Um, so, what do we do when we go? It's the next, next question. Well, Christ says we make disciples, so... Uh, the question then is, well, what's, what's a disciple, and how do you make one? Um, so what's a disciple, and how do you make one? Uh, and he gives us basically the character of a disciple in the following couple of phrases. He says that uh, you should go and make disciples of all nations. And he says two things. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and two, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded So you may have picked up that uh, being a disciple is to be baptized and to be basically following the ways of Jesus. Um, And there's this issue that comes up when you say, well, being a disciple is to be baptized. And people are like, well, is that a work? Are you being baptized as, you know, is that, you're saying baptism saves you? And that's not the reality. It's not what I'm saying. So be clear that I'm not saying that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. I think there probably are circumstances that, you know, that are possible that you place your faith in Christ and there's not an opportunity to be, you know, dunked, as we've been talking about, about um, and, uh, and so that's totally possible. I think God provides for that in, in his wisdom. And, and even if you think about the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament people weren't, you know, I, the, the hall of faith in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 indicates that many of the Old Testament people are going to be in heaven, and a lot of them weren't baptized, so you know, it's hard to keep that that straight line, but the reality is it's very important because of two reasons. Uh, First, Jesus was baptized, and we see that throughout the Gospels, that Jesus was actually baptized himself, Um, and then second, Jesus commands us to be baptized, and to be baptizing people for them to be, be disciples. So those are two pretty good reasons why we ought to be baptized, um, but it's not really just about the act. It's about the meaning of the act. You know, it's a, it's a symbolism of our identification with God. And so He says that we should we should be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So um, I think there's a there's an aspect of that that's that's important for us to remember. You know, our baptism is an identification with. Uh, what God has done throughout the Old Testament as we saw those stories about how God saved and how God's the provider and how he came to his people and have restored them and uh, so our being baptized in the name of the father is to uh, is to declare that God is the provider that he's almighty that he is all-powerful to be baptized in the name of the son is that uh, to say that that Jesus is the way that I'm reconciled to the father that's Christ's role is he's the restorer of our relationship with God. So baptizing the Father, I, I recognize him as, as Lord of all the earth, of, of the all-knowing creator. Uh, baptizing the Son, he's the restorer. He's the means by which I'm restored to God. Baptizing the Holy Spirit, that's the one that I depend on uh, for direction and wisdom in life. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts and uh, directs and guides our lives uh, in all things. So I think it's important that, that Matthew states here, or that the way that Jesus puts this, we're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's an aspect of God's nature that is symbolized in that moment. And it's not just an event that happens and then it's like over, and okay, I did that, that was good. The reality is, baptism becomes a part of your story. You know, it's a reality in your life. So when someone asks you, you know, what. You know what you're about, or you know what your life is about. Well, baptism is a part of your story. You have identified yourself with God, the Creator, Jesus Christ, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, leading you and guiding you in your life. So, uh, baptism isn't just an event, uh, but it's it's a life proclamation. Uh, and so, uh, we have to we have to look at it that way. So, disciples are are individuals who are baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the next thing is that He says. That, the, that we ought to be teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Um, I was thinking about, how should I go about figuring out all that, that Jesus commanded? And um, I was thinking, well, that's going to take a while. And God actually brought this particular scripture to my mind, uh, Romans chapter 12, which I was thinking really just about the first couple of verses, because those are the ones that I, that I know uh, from just you know, memorizing them in the past or whatever, have a better understanding of that. Um, and so I was thinking of those two verses. Actually, the whole chapter is what I think is essentially Paul's summary of what it means to be a Christian. So if you turn to Romans chapter 12, uh, and that's on page 616 in the, in the Bibles that we provide there. Um, I just want to read this to you and uh, let you hear kind of... <clears throat> from Paul's perspective, what it is uh, to, to follow Christ or to live as a sacrifice for him. He says in chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? For by the grace of God, uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God had as a assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us then use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil or hate it. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. That's a difficult one. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another do not be haughty do not but associate with the lowly uh, never be wise in your own sight Repeat, repay no one evil for evil but give thought uh, to uh, to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all uh, beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I know that's a lot. That's a whole lot. But that's what God has called us to. That's the kind of life that Christ has called us to. I think this is Paul's summation of this is how Christ lived his life. He came to a people that was an enemy to him, and he loved them, and he gave his life to them. Uh, and that's an amazing thought. Uh, and I think that's really you know, what we ought to be teaching uh, those that are calling to follow Jesus, is this tremendous sacrificial love uh, that God has demonstrated for us. We ought to be demonstrating for those around us. So um, we ought to uh, teach all to observe uh, everything that, that Christ taught. Jesus puts it this way simply when asked, what are, the, "What are the best, what are the top commandments in the Bible?" He says, "To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself." And has a little longer. That's a paraphrase of what all he said. Basically, love God and love others. That's the command that we have in life: love God and love others. <clears throat> Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. So, so. Uh, one other thing we will look about, look at as we uh, consider how we are going, people is, uh, you know, okay. Disciples are people that are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, they're ones who observe all that Jesus is commanded to do, uh, however difficult that may be. Uh, so the question I want to ask now is, well, how do you make disciples? And to look at how Jesus made disciples, and I think it boils down to two things. Uh, And they're similar words Identification and identity So uh, Christ has this Jesus had this amazing way And we're learning as we study the book of Luke And our Wednesday night study uh, That Jesus continually identifies With uh, The strangest people The people you wouldn't consider That Jesus would identify with He associates with So a Roman centurion A tax collector who's basically seen as a uh, a traitor to, to the Jews if he's serving Rome in that capacity uh, women, uh, a synagogue ruler you know, all these people that are supposedly his enemies or people that he sh- shouldn't associate with tax collectors are, are not only you know, you know, to be considered I guess uh, traitors to, to Israel but also uh, just sinners in general you know um, and Jesus is associating with these people he's identifying himself with them. Um, and the fact is that he's saying that it's not the, uh, the well that need a doctor, right? It's the sick that need a doctor. And so he's not going to the righteous. He's identifying with the broken in our society. And so that's part of our ability to make disciples is found in identification. Identification with those that are cast out in our society in some way or are hurting and aren't you know, receiving any help. Um, And so we ought to be identifying, and basically what's required to do this is sacrifice and compassion, and we see that in Christ's life, right, we see his sacrifice that, well, he came to earth to, you know, basically deal with all this stuff that we deal with, and we know how awful it is, Uh, he endured all that, he endured temptation, he endured all these things, Um, so he identifies with us, and not only that, but he has compassion on those that are hurting so we have to have that same spirit about us that we're willing to identify with people and and sacrifice maybe our own comfort uh and our own uh i guess our pride um, and and extend compassion where it's not being extended that's our role is to extend god's glory in those places Uh, so identification is the first thing so that can look like a number of things, you know, that can be speaking truth to a friend or, or a coworker. That could be just honoring the Lord with, you know, kind of as we did earlier today as we're giving thanks for what he did. And just taking time to honor God for what he's done and to give him praise instead of taking it for yourself. Um, to witness, you know, to witness to strangers on the street. I mean, God is going to lead you in doing that. Um, to meet physical needs. But not only to meet physical needs, but to point to the spiritual need that people have. I had a conversation with a, a guy the other day when we were passing out cards for, for church. And the guy's drunk, you know, um, self admitted alcoholic. And, you know, I was talking to him about how, you know, it's great that you're connected with the program, you know, that can try and help you out of that. And that's great. We can definitely, you know, there's a, there are resources available in this community to help with needs that are in this community. We're blessed with a community that actually cares about people and wants to help people and help them get on the way. But what's lacking is a spiritual restoration with God. And so our role is, yes, yeah, we should connect people with ways that they can uh, overcome addictions and, and do that. We should, you know, point them to resources that are available. But the reality is there's a deeper problem that is there and that's a brokenness in the relationship with God. And that can only be restored in Christ. And so we have to have, you know, we have to be willing to sacrifice and extend compassion uh, to those around us. That's what's required to identify, or to, to provide identification. Um, the second thing that, that Jesus demonstrates is that he doesn't only identify with people, but he is aware throughout his ministry of his own identity. So, um, you know, for us, that's important as well. Like I said, Jesus says in, four, in John fourteen six, there's no way to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in uh, Luke, when he's starting out his ministry, he, I won't go through the whole the whole uh, verse that I'm looking at, but uh, Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, he steps into a synagogue and he's given a scroll to read from. And the scroll is essentially uh, a prophecy about who the Messiah is. So he stands in front of these people, and he reads this scroll from Isaiah, and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, Christ, as he moved to the earth, understood his identity. He didn't only identify with people and help their needs and, and point them to God. He understood who he was. He understood he was the Son of God. He understood that he had a purpose in life, and that purpose was to lay down his life that man might be restored to God the Father, so he was aware of his identity. So I want to encourage us with this: uh, this from Second uh, Corinthians five sixteen to twenty one. Um, this just it just speaks of who we are in Christ. Like Christ has made us a new creation, and uh, this is just a beautiful scripture that that speaks to that. So Second uh, Corinthians five sixteen to 20, uh, 16 to twenty one. 16.21, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So in Christ, we are new, we're not old, we're not, we're not serving the flesh anymore, we're serving the spirit, we're serving the Lord, we're extending his glory. All this is from God, continuing in verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us To himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So, not only are we a new creation restored to right relationship with God, we've been reconciled to him and God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's commissioned us uh, to reconcile others to himself. So, a ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. However you hear that language that Paul uses about you? This is your identity in Christ. You're a new creation. You are the righteousness of God. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are reconciled to God. If that doesn't, like, make you warm and fuzzy inside and feel good about life, I don't know what does. Uh, But this is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He has made us this. This is our identity. When we associate with people, when when we walk in this world that is broken and hurting, our identity is an ambassador for Christ. God has restored us to relationship with him. So, Jesus makes disciples in this way. He uh, does it through identification and through understanding his own identity. And we've got to model that same truth. We have to identify with one another, with, uh, with the people in this world, and uh, you know, our friends, our coworkers, our, our, our family. And we have to understand our identity in Christ. We have to go forth in that. We're new creation. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're reconciled. We are the righteousness of God. We are a going people. We serve a going God. And the beauty is that God is going with us. The end of verse 20 says this in, uh, in Matthew 28. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to God, and He is going to be with us always to the end of the age. So we go forth commissioned as a going people, but we're not just a going people. We're going people that serves a going God and a God that goes with us. How awesome is that? That's our identity in Christ. We have an opportunity to change the world as people. God has given us that ministry of reconciliation, to go forth into this world, and to share the love that Christ has demonstrated in us. Each of us have a story. If we went around the room, we could testify to this story about what Christ has done for us. We can testify how he has restored us to the Father. We have, you know, individual uh, uh, experiences with the Lord, and the thing is, they're unique, but they're similar, and they're found in the cross. They're found in the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. He has restored us to the Father. And our, our goal, our role in life is to extend that restoration to the world. And to extend His glory to the, to the earth. God has restored us in our, 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 um, our purpose in life. You know, when we sin, again, we're broken. And, but God provides this promise that He's going to restore us. And He does so in Christ. And now, as his children, we go forth extending that grace and mercy uh, to a broken world. That's an awesome truth. And uh, I just pray that over this week, you guys, we would just soak in that.